watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we have three new releases. Dunkirk, Girls Trip, and Lady Macbeth. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. Indeed. Jason, I uh, haven't seen you in a while. I see you're still wearing graphic t-shirts. I sure am. On the regular. It's it's my it's the look of my 30s. <laughs> was it not the look of your 20s? It wasn't. I really, in my 20s, I had a lot of attitude about graphic t-shirts. Oh, I you was, just wore plain t-shirts. Uh, yeah, I would wear lots of, you know, slim fit deep Vs because at the time, I could. Mm. At the time, Those I could. Those were the style at the time. You wore that onion on your belt, too. I did. <laughs> I did. And, you know, and I wore a lot of plaid shirts and, mm. and you know, things like that. But and I always looked down on graphic tees, but now I look up at them mm-hmm. on up on shelves and i say i want to buy that and you Can buy, I buy it. that and then i buy it and i put it on uh and really i look it up mainly online because let's be honest all the best graphic tees are online are they uh yeah because you know like uh hunties and all those different like basically if you're like me and you're looking for graphic t-shirt that suit your like pop culture obsession needs mm-hmm. they don't sell those at stores you don't like the ones that are just like america or <laughs> san francisco giants and see i think that's why i always had attitude about graphic tees um, back in my 20s was because I only saw the ones that were in brick and mortar stores. And I was always like, don't try to give me what you think my personality should be, urban outfitters. Mm, um, there was I, always Threadless. There is always Threadless. Remember when that was like the way, the place to go? That was like the only place to buy t-shirts? You know, I don't think I ever bought a t-shirt Threadless. Did you? Uh, yeah. Was it? A, I bought quite a few t-shirts at Threadless. And did they have brick and mortar? No. No, okay. it was just an online. Right. Yeah. So now yes. we've come around to the same place, which is that online is where one buys shirts. <laughs> yeah okay i guess so yeah. guys i know it's a hot take uh, i don't know if i have any graphic t-shirts i hope you'll stay with us uh, i just had to look down at my t-shirt <laughs> no it's not graphic she was not sure that she wasn't literally lying about the shirt she was wearing i do have i do have shirts that have things on them cats no i don't have any cat shirts mm. no i don't not yet um, we keep buying them so for right you now. and you won't wear them which is pretty mean as a friend but you know how i feel about clutter i, I do i do um, so yeah, guys, we've taken a few weeks off because mm-hmm. we were each doing some traveling. Uh, I personally uh, was in New York this past weekend. Mm. Visiting some friends of the show. I was visiting some friends of the show. I was there to uh, to see and surprise um, former guest co-host Lindsay Gebhardt for her 35th birthday. It's a birthday that I made and then a few short moments later ruined. Uh, <laughs> so I Like have- you do. I have that uh, to uh, to enjoy as a memory that chills me to the bone from this past weekend. <laughs> I mean, what, what felt worse, that or the whole Ashton Kutcher debacle that you... Uh... Oof. I mean, this felt worse. Uh, you know, let's just say that it was a surprise birthday party that was intended to be sort of a, a storytelling type showcase and it turned into a bit more of a roast than the birthday girl mm. was comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it was it was also a fairly champagne uh, sunken experience. Mm, yeah. Poor judgment all around. And uh, I have nothing but regret. So here we are. <laughs> and uh, but, you know, and I always forget that feeling that when you like when you drink like a gallon of champagne at brunch, that like you are going to go into this weird heightened state. that's not like any other kind of drunkenness. Mm-mm. Where you're just like, because you don't feel drunk. It's the sugar. You just, exactly. You're elevated. You're on a sugar high. Mm-hmm. And that your sugar and carbonation 
um, but also alcohol. Uh, because it's not like drinking too much soda. You know, drinking too much soda just makes you feel sick. I mean, what drinking it is, too, it's a spark sign. Drinking too, <laughs> drinking too much soda just makes you feel disgusting. Drinking too much champagne makes you feel like you have wings. Wings just sprout from your back. And I'm just like, I am just flying it's over also, everything. It's uh, also Red Bull vodka. Is it? I hear. I don't drink Red Bull, but I've heard uh, that's exactly the same feeling. We're just comparing different drink highs. It's good. Uh, so that was a thing that occurred. Uh, but another thing that occurred was that I went to go see... Miss Bette Midler in Hello, Dolly. Wow. This is a gay podcast, right? I can talk about I this. I mean, it is now if it wasn't before. <laughs> uh, and not only did I go see Bette Midler in Hello, Dolly, I had a second row seat. Wow. And uh, and it was uh, worth every cent, I got to tell you. Uh, Bette Midler, I feel like, is not actually aware that there are other people in the show. <laughs> I think it's, it's like you in this show. Yeah, exactly. I'm like... Like I'm just sort of like the, you know, just responding to these prompts that are just kind of appearing in my head. Mm-hmm. I have no idea there's someone across from me. Ben Midler's the same way. She just kind of like says her things and sings her things and just connects with the audience and no clue there's anyone else on stage with her. Um, so I was like, I see myself when I mm-hmm, look at this. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she's such a ham. And uh, she, okay, the continues. Yeah, mm-hmm. continue. All she does is just showboat around and, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and to, to the delight of gay men. Uh, so, <laughs> so there's that. It was also one of those things. So I am so accustomed to uh, to hating the many stupid, terrible things that people do at concerts. Oh right, uh, that because I feel like mostly theater goers are better behaved, if only because there's less alcohol involved. Oh yeah, and you're okay. not encouraged to like go to a, a you know a theatrical show and whoop it up. I thought you were making it a class thing, but go ahead. I was not making. It. <laughs> you were just like, let's see, which of these, which of these different uh, uh, scolds should I have ready? <laughs> which should I get prepared when, when he finishes the story? My tool belt. <laughs> um, <laughs> your tool belt of liberal shame. <laughs> it's robust. It's robust. Wraps a few times around your waist. A couple times. Um. So um, so there was this guy in the front row to the left who I'm pretty sure had like literally never been to a stage show before. But he bought front row tickets. But he had front row tickets. And I and I wonder if it's either he'd never been to one before or he felt because he had so much money he could do what he wanted. But he had a stack of personal belongings sitting on the stage. Literally what? resting on the stage. And I didn't even notice until an usher came over and like shined his flashlight at him. The show hadn't started yet, fortunately. And was like, and was like, sir, could you please take those things off the stage? And like, I was like, huh? Why? I'm like, what were the things? It was just like a pile of like folders and paperwork and just things he probably picked up walking around Times Square. Oh my god. Um, and uh, and he's like, why? I can't leave it up there. And they're like, no, you can't leave it up there. It's the one place. Like, do you have any idea what Ben Miller would do? <laughs> do you know have any idea how many of us she would kill by midnight <laughs> if she saw that? <laughs> and um, and so the guy like begrudgingly goes and takes these things down from the stage. And then, once Bette Midler actually took the stage, about 10 seconds later, suddenly I see little flashes going off from his seat. He's taking flash photos? He's taking flash photos. Because this is a favorite double standard of mine. As much as, like, quote-unquote younger people get shit for, like, always being on their phones, at least we know how to use our phones. Mm, I like how you're grouping yourself into the younger people. (laughs) I know how to use my phone. Uh, You know, because you put put a phone in the hands of the olds, and they have no idea what's going on. (laughs) They have no idea what's going on. Turn the flash on or off. They don't even know it's an option. Ring her on, (laughs) off, no option. They have no idea. So he's just, you know, obliviously taking flash photos of Bette Midler from the front row and is all but shot by an usher for doing this. And he's like, I can't take pictures either. I'm like, holy wow. shit, dude. Wow. 
And then whenever she would work that corner of the stage, they would literally wave at her. <laughs> they would put their hands up and like shake them at her excitedly. Like, oh, come on. Hello. Look at me. Look at me. Hi. Hi. But it's a musical. It's not like a concert where she no. can like stop and look. No, and or, engage. Yeah, like put a hand out. Although, frankly, she she does engage a lot more than the average Broadway star does. She fucked up one of her lines at one point and looked at the audience and went, what the hell? <laughs> uh, so she and you still, loved it. And I loved every second of it. Uh, but fortunately, those people actually m- made way, uh, the sort of the, the confluence of phone talk and inappropriate old people led to a shining moment for yours truly. Uh, because during her roughly 15-minute curtain call, during which she just paraded back and forth across the proscenium of the stage, just waving and basking in the adulation of the audience, <laughs> um, while like the rest of the cast just like hung their heads behind her, including one person who literally won a Tony for this very show, <laughs> Gavin Creel, and also David Hyde Pierce. Oh. Yes, um, just just suffocating under an enormous handlebar mustache. Niles. Yeah, sweet, sweet Niles. Uh, real crack him up in this show. <laughs> so as she's walking back and forth, she sees they all start waving at her again and kind of shaking their hands at her. And then she shakes their hands. And this is happening just three feet away from me. And so suddenly my judgment of them vanishes and I just fucking run for it. And lunge forward and just shove my hand up as Did you as, like as jump as over the seat in front of you? Yeah. I, no. No, I had an aisle seat. I had an aisle seat. Person. Oh, yeah, okay. Set, yeah, wow. set, second row center aisle. Wow. So I just got up and fucking bolted over there and shoved my hand up. And Bette Midler, with her glove on, daintily took my hand and gave it a ginger shake. Huh. Look you at were, you. Look at me. At least all that money you were going to give to Planned Parenthood ended up going somewhere good. <laughs> don't, don't you dare make this about my charity money. Uh, yeah, so, you know, you know, I, I, I stopped my, my work-giving fund for a few months to get this together. <laughs> no, because I was thinking about, like, taking pictures of her during the curtain call, because that's the one time mm, that yeah. I personally feel comfortable taking pictures at theater shows. Without flash. Without flash. Um, but, you know, it's still very noticeable phone with my giant B. Arthur cover. Um, but then I was so scared of what happened. Bette Midler actually like locked eyes with me and saw me with a phone in my hand since I was so plainly visible that I was like, "Mm, I don't want her to yell at me. And then not only did I have to, you know, did I go without being yelled at by Bette Midler? I got a handshake out of it, which I for sure would not have been able to do had I just been staying there trying to like get the best possible shot for it for the gram. You had to live the moment. I did. So that was my lesson learned. One of several hard, hard won lessons. From this, this past really, weekend yeah, in New York. This really, yeah, growth trip for you, huh? And I could talk for five more hours about all things that happened this weekend, but I will throw it over to you, Rebecca. What is up with you? Um, so I also went traveling. Um, it was, uh, there was no theater involved. Um, it was just a very... Not enough gay men on the trip? Uh, no, no, there, there were a few, but not enough. Um, the Probably the most uh, crazy thing that happened was that I had this, like, um incredible tooth pain that popped up when I was in Mexico City and you know the next there were like three more days in Mexico City and then uh, like a week in Nicaragua and I was like oh man because I'm a paranoid person um, and I was like I've well, heard that about you yeah you know what Everyone's the rumors it. are true <laughs> I knew they were <laughs> like I said um, so I was like well you know it's probably infected and then I'll get infection in my face and it'll go to my brain and then I'll die <laughs> In Nicaragua before I can come back to the United States. I'm going to try to go to the dentist here. <laughs> what? That happens. I, I, I know. I know. I know. And then you're just nervous. Happens. You're like all these years telling people that I'm not Mexican. I got buried in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> God damn it. Um, in the family plot, oddly enough. <laughs> so um, 
I was able to get a, an appointment um, at a dentist's office on a Saturday morning. It, was, it wasn't looking very good, but there was definitely this, this clinic that was open, and I walk in, and um, mm. there was an ashtray in the, in the waiting room, and I was like, okay, you know what? This is still going to be better than if I get an infection in my face. <laughs> um, and luckily, the, the like head of the clinic, the um, kind of like uh, administrative lead mm-hmm. uh, dentist w- spoke English uh, very well. His wife was from Chicago. And I was able to explain everything that had been going on and he explained it to the dentist and um, it was amazing. I, I went from being in so much pain to when she was done being free from pain that I like gave her a hug when I was done. It was, I was, then I was like, but I've done that in America. It's like, yes, no, I was right. so relieved and so happy. Um, so I hugged the dentist. You see, you know, and, and, hug and, your dentist. and we think we're doing something wrong by Mexico by building a wall. But really, if we build a wall out. and we were stuck with Trump care. And right? you can just be in Mexico and have a pretty dire situation resolved that quickly. Yeah, they like uh, they they saw me within like five minutes of getting there. They did this procedure. They took X-rays. They like you know, put this wire in my teeth. Um, all uh, you know, also filed my <laughs> filed my teeth down. <laughs> I've been meaning to <laughs> talk to you about that. I have tall I'm teeth. glad it's like save me a conversation. That'd be an awkward <laughs> one later. I'm like they're getting real pointy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, true. Uh, for $160. No shit. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I got to keep my x-ray. Because <laughs> <laughs> if there's one thing that we all want from our doctor's visits, it's that's keepsakes. <laughs> so now you have one it's to always like, remember uh, this moment. It's like when you get a tuft of hair from the barber. Um, so that was probably the most wow. um, adventurous mm. thing that and happened. And how long did it take I... for your uh, your sore throat and, and adorably scratchy voice oh, to heal? Oh, right. Um Wow, a long time. Oof. I think I was sick like that, and for like another six days after I That's after I saw you last. Time. Yeah, it was a really uh, severe cold. Yikes! Um, I actually just went back to the doctor yesterday um, for it, and I'm now on antibiotics. Well, hey, hey. Yeah. So. That's what's up with me. I'm <laughs> real, a medical mess. I'm real breezy. I know. And you still have that little brace on your finger. I know. I'm really just falling apart piece by piece. Watch oh. out, elbows. You're next. <laughs> Be careful. I'm going to look out for those elbows tonight. Please do. Um, shall we get to the movies? Let's do it. All right. Uh, our first movie of the week is Dunkirk. Allied soldiers from Belgium, the British Empire, and France are surrounded by the German army and evacuated during a fierce battle in World War II. The enemy tanks have stopped. Why? Why waste precious tanks when they can pick us off from the air like fish in a barrel? There are 400,000 men on this beach. practically see it from here. What? Home. So this movie uh, is a much anticipated uh, new movie from Christopher Nolan. Um, and he does some things that are familiar, uh-huh. uh, such as play with time. Put Tom Hardy in a mask and make him hard to understand. <laughs> yeah. Um, I guess I'll start there. What did you feel about, uh, how did you feel about having to wait the whole movie to see Tom Hardy's face? Well, fortunately, we had Harry Styles' face to look at oh, in right. the interim. Uh, so that... You think there's a, so there's a crossover there? People who like Harry Styles also like Tom Hardy? You're looking at him. Yep. All right, then. Uh, yeah, no, I, uh, Tom Hardy is, it, it, it is kind of funny. The first time you see him wearing this mask, he plays a pilot. 
and um, and he has the mask on, and he's doing his first line of dialogue, and it kind of sounds like Bane is kind of like, and I was like, oh, here we go again, oh boy. Um, but we had plenty of Harry Styles and his cheekbones to mm-hmm. uh, to tide us over until we got the full Tom Hardy, the full frontal face <laughs> of Tom Hardy. Of Tom Hardy. Um, I mean, th- I think that's a, a persistent issue in the movie. Um, I had a very difficult time understanding a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of um, accented yelling um, with another layer of either being underwater. All right. Or bombs bursting. Yeah. Um, robust sound effects. Definitely. And, yeah, and, a, and an equally robust soundtrack. Mm, oh, yeah. Um, and that, Hans Zimmer is not fucking around with this one. No, it's a really it's really in your head. So it makes it really kind of hard, except for like the more the more quiet parts. Um, yeah. It's it's kind of hard to follow along with, follow along with what's happening. Yeah. Especially uh, because there's a lot of like military strategy jargon yeah. that I maybe don't understand. Names of places. People, emotions. Uh, since since uh, since we were perhaps not familiar with Dun, were you familiar with Dunkirk before um, we talked about for their finest? Uh, vaguely. Vaguely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was reading a review today that kind of hilariously pointed out that as far as Americans are concerned, World War Two started with Pearl Harbor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so this is part of the pre-Pearl Harbor mm-hmm. <laughs> section of World War Two that we are perhaps less familiar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it's, it's the kind of movie that if you're watching on Netflix, you, you just flip those captions on. I would absolutely put the captions just on. Just to, uh, just to make sure you're keeping up. With that said, there's not a whole lot of dialogue. True. You know, it's very much a, this is a small moments war movie. Uh, and, but it's also, it's, it's sort of. So simulta- expansive. Well, it's simultaneously, yes, we're both like making expansive gestures at each other. Big hand gestures. Um, then we're going to compare wingspans later. I'm going to win. You're going to win. You're taller than me. Yeah, that's right. Don't forget it. Uh, so, <laughs> so uh, it, you know, this is a movie that feels at once, it's sort of like a bundle of contradictions that mm-hmm. mostly work. Because it's a paradox. <laughs> it's, okay, good for you. It's a paradox. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so it's it's very, it's a small moments war movie, but it's also so expansive. Okay, it, let me just it, say, it, there was this Saturday Night Live skit, and it was like, this is a Chevy paradox. It's like, it's so big, but so small. It's so fast, but so slow. <laughs> is that what you're thinking of when you, made, yes. when you said that? Yes. This movie is it's the Chevy, Par- Chevy Paradox of summer blockbusters. <laughs> and that's going to be our pull quote. We're going to try getting the press to pick up. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's 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 small moments. It's expansive. It feels very verite mm-hmm. um, for a lot of the battles. Very viscerally just pulling you in. Very like sort of like boots on the ground. Um, but it also is so cinematic mm-hmm. and has so many sort of like stylized tricks. Um, and, you know, it has very little dialogue and most of the characters go unnamed. Even if you look them up on IMDb, they don't have names. Mm-hmm. Um, they're referred to by like other characteristics, and yet it also has like Nolan time, you know, where we have this sort of convoluted structure uh, where we have these three different stories: one taking place over a week, one taking place over a day, one taking place over an hour. Each of those are spelled out for us on screen, which um, you know. So again, this kind of naturalness versus contrivance. Mm-hmm. And then I would say that like. While there isn't a lot of um, like fraternity between the soldiers or like there's no um, hanging around or joking, uh, there are the speeches that do happen are like incredibly um, like almost too emotional considering like they haven't really talked at all before. So it's both like um, cold and corny at the same time. A plus 100 percent. That's one of the contradictions that does not work. Yeah. Uh, in this movie uh, because it does spend so much of its running time being very uh, yeah cold 
and you know which is good it works sure. very well works very well for it and then it ends on this note of sort of forced uplift mm-hmm. that just feels kind of like it's a letdown by the time you get to it because you know it's it's and i and i i guess you know the story of dunkirk is is, is sort of revered by by the british as ultimately an inspiring story of, sure. of this evacuation right of like the people uh, not necessarily yeah, people chipping in yeah. going over and uh, it just turns into it's funny because we did just review their finest a few mm-hmm. months ago we put it in our mid-year best of list and it's a movie about the making of a scripted movie about dunkirk and about one such um, civilian rescue boat that goes across the english channel to go to bring back a loved one and uh and then that is one of the storylines mm-hmm. in this movie and sort of by the end, you know, we've we've taken this journey from this very sort of like uncompromising, artful, impressionistic approach to this this what feels like propagandic uplift mm-hmm. that wouldn't have seemed out of place at all in the movie inside of their finest. Right. So it's in it's it's a little out of sorts. You wish he would have found a more artful way to convey that uplift. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Like none of the characters. Maybe a little bit. The first kind of character you you see, who who's a boots on the ground soldier, does some questionable things in, in terms of wanting to get home, and, mm-hmm. and, and has has some isn't necessarily um, you know has the most proper moral compass. But other than that, every other character is like on the up and up, and does pretty much okay. There's one more Cillian Murphy's character also is a little more has some uh, gray area to him, mm-hmm. but everyone else is just like you know undoubtedly you know brave and making the right decision and doing their best without having sort of any sort of, uh, I don't know, question about their character. Yeah, or complexity, complexity, any conflict. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the conflict, they don't need internal conflict because they have it from without. So right, they don't need sure. it from yeah. within. The uh, silent, omnipresent, um, occasionally bombing Germans. Mm. Right, those guys, through. those jerks. And, uh, and this is also a movie, we mentioned Hans Zimmer's score. This is a film that where the score is so emphatic and takes such a huge, um, it plays such a huge role in shaping your your understanding of the narrative mm-hmm. that in there there are certain scenes where it literally tells you how you should be feeling emotionally before anything's happened. Right. Like there were a few times where I'm like, this, you're all right, all right, Zimmer. Like you, you're you're stepping on scenes now. You're just you're stepping on them. You're not even letting the scenes happen to have this mm-hmm. moment. You're already like telegraphing very very overtly what the moment is. Um, and between that and the fact that he that you literally have titles appear on screen to, to identify each of the stories, it feels like he's doing a lot more kind of hand-holding mm-hmm. than yeah. usual. Um, because like I feel like in a lot of Nolan movies, you wouldn't know until the very end that there were, even were multiple timelines. Right. Yeah, that's um, true. Or you'd wait until there's... So one character we see um, once in one storyline, and then we see him later in another storyline. And he you, we can tell between the two that they are different storylines. So I feel like Nolan, I wonder if he ever considered just letting that be that moment um, where you realize, oh, there are different storylines at play here. Uh, so, uh, yeah. But I he, wonder if there was like testing involved or something yeah, that people didn't understand. Maybe. I feel like it, considering we had such a hard time with the dialogue, yeah, it would have like, been pretty difficult. It. People have just thrown their hands up and like, mm-hmm. okay, I can't. I don't, what am I watching? Yeah. Uh, you know, so I, 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 you know, I wonder about that. And I had to, I felt like ultimately... The multiple storylines it was just it's just a contrivance it's just a structural c- conceit i don't feel like it lent much meaning 
to what we were watching. It's not kind of like, oh, what happens in an hour versus a day versus a week mm-hmm. where we can start singing Seasons of Love any minute now. Um, <laughs> and uh, and it just didn't do anything special aside from just make sure that after you watch it, you're going to have to turn to your friends and be like, okay, so that one thing, was that in that story? And mm-hmm. when did that happen in relation to this? And which like that, you know, it's just like, it's like, it makes it a puzzle box. So it doesn't need to be. Right. I don't know that he would have lost anything if he had just made this an actually a linear movie. I think that I think that considering each situation, uh, it I think it made sense. I think it, it it being billed as like a way of being complex, or maybe because it's him and you're expecting this like Inception like insanity. Mm-hmm. I think that it makes sense considering like the different you know uh, methods that we're looking at. Like we really needed to see how long the the soldiers on the beach that were waiting mm-hmm. were waiting and stuck and trapped on this beach, and like that length of time and that desperation and that fear. You needed to know it was a long time. And then the pilots, like, you know, you can only really do that for so long. You only have so much gasoline. Mm-hmm. So I think it would have been hard to, sh- well, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't have been that difficult um, to to show that those things actually needed to happen in different amounts of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I can I can see how it's almost like it's too purposeful and makes you think that there should be something more important about it than it actually right. is just like, like a way to tell the story. Right, yeah. It's just like a different structural device. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a different framing device mm-hmm. for the story that he's telling. And, and, uh, and I, yeah, I, I just still don't think that it amounted to much right. um, beyond yeah. just Agreed. making it sort of needlessly complicated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that's Nolan's trademark, you know, and uh, as well, it's as much as trademark as being entirely... Uh, uh, morose and humorless. Yeah, and that's the, what this was this definitely is very much still that. I'm sort of used to the um, you know like American World War II movies like Saving Private Ryan or Band mm-hmm. of Brothers, where you have this group of like there's the funny guy from the Bronx and then that guy from the South and like they is like there are mm-hmm. things that like there's music involved or you know right. things there's they think about at home <laughs> or like a like that again that like brotherhood you know like american soldier type thing which does not exist in this movie at all no no rebecca was waiting for like a sing along to a temptation song like she gets in so many so many vietnam little, movies but uh there's some mcguire sisters uh <laughs> sing along where's the joe stafford that's what oh. i want to know oh Bless her. I mean, there was a plane in the movie. Yeah, no. Uh, You know, so that was that was all missing. It was, you know, and that was part of sort of like the stoic matter of factness Mm -hmm. of, you know, the the, these men who are just politely in with great patience. Drown or get shot. Right. Politely, patiently waiting. Um, you know, oh, there's a bomb attack. Then they all lay down and then people all around them die. Then they just like stand back up and get back in line. It's really odd. It's very British. It is, I guess, yeah. Uh, um, you know, so uh, it, it is. Really, I feel like there is a drinking game in here that is get shot or drown. And then you mm-hmm. take a double shot if you get shot while you're drowning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that I would like that drinking game very much. Uh, we mentioned Harry Styles earlier, and he is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's good in this movie. Uh, I did not know what to expect, and it certainly reinforced my own prejudice is it prejudice if it's positive? My prejudice that mm-hmm. all Brits can indeed act. Just put a camera on it's an English person, yeah. and uh, and there and suddenly there's inner inner life and depth and complexity, and you're like, how? <laughs> uh, but damn it, if he doesn't do a fine fine job, and he has some 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 pretty meaty scenes yeah. um, that he has that he carries out, and he's very convincing. Yeah, especially at the end, there's a lot of conflict because mm-hmm. these uh, these soldiers were saved, you know, by the people, and that's a hard place to be in when survivor's um, guilt. Exactly. 
Uh, there's that and then just like you know sort of expecting being expected to um, defeat the enemy and right. um, you come back and you're just relying completely on the on the kindness of your um, you know, civilian townspeople mm-hmm. and he, he struggles with that a lot and I feel like that was the most acting there was in this movie yeah him yeah. and Mark Rylance um, yeah Mark Rylance would you say in general that you like war movies I would say that I do yeah okay I would I, I don't as much, and I also mm-hmm. don't like movies without women in them. So mm-hmm. this movie mm-hmm. had sort of two strikes against it going in with sure. me. Uh, with that said, I felt like it wasn't. Uh, I haven't seen it before. I felt like mm-hmm. I feel like Nolan carves out his own cinematic language to tell this story, and it did not remind me of any other war movie that I've seen. I was not like, oh, that's so this or that's so this. I feel like his technique and his craft yeah. is so entirely his own. I feel like he, take, you know, as an author, he takes a lot of pride in shaping his own storytelling techniques and mm-hmm. his own visuals. And and he, he it's not just you're not watching just the same old war movie again. Uh, I felt like it was very much its own. I think the the the, the cool overlap is that it has either like a, a, an older movie uh, approach or a European movie approach in terms of like its, uh, its sophistication, but it has an American movie budget. Like you see these like um, these dogfight scenes and these in these uh, with Tom Hardy being the pilot that are so cool. Like they're filmed like you would film a modern day Air Force movie, but it's all with like old planes and old mm-hmm. you know old technology. Is that why you threw your arms in the air like you were on a roller coaster? That's why I was like. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Well, that's a different story for a different time. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, um, you're like my machine gun story. We'll have to wait until after we're done taping. Because it reminds me a little bit of like a war or some like Danish approaches mm-hmm. to to film, but like those are more about you know modern day war. And speaking of a war, Homeboy from a War is now on Game of Thrones this season. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Pilu Asbik, also mm-hmm. from your number one movie so far this year, Ghost in the Shell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I forgot he was in that. He was sure was. Um. So that what are you giving Joshua Jackson looking motherfucker. <laughs> Uh, you know, I think I'm going to give it a binge it. I'm going to go ahead and give it a binge it. I think it has its flaws. Um, I think that the strength is absolutely the storytelling. The strength is not the writing. And the strength, uh, mm. oh, some schlocky dialogue too. Some yeah. very, oh, yeah. there are some few moments that's the where, corny, yeah. there are a few moments where I just like, just like looked at the movie like, really? Like that's, that's dialogue that you were like cool with keeping in this movie. It's just, it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. So there was some schlocky dialogue. I think it's unnecessarily complex. And I think that the score needs to take it down a notch. But with that all said, I think that the greatness of the filmmaking um, outweighs my objections to it, and I think it still is meriting a binge it. Uh, agreed, and I would say if it's a if it's available to you, try to see it in seventy millimeter. Yeah. We didn't. Uh, I almost thought it was. It was so beautiful and so um, it has such a beautiful palette to it. I can't imagine what it would look like um, in that format. And I, I would yeah, recommend and that IMAX as well. Yeah. it's like IMAX seventy millimeter. Can, Can they you do, do seventy millimeter? I don't know, guys. Let us know. Can you do seventy millimeter in IMAX? If not, just see it in 70 millimeter, just so you can be a film yeah, nerd about it. Definitely. Uh, it's rated PG-13 for intense war experience and some language. And that brings us to our second movie, Girls Trip, which is our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick of the week. Best friends Ryan, Sasha, Lisa, and Dina are in for the adventure of a lifetime when they travel to New Orleans for the annual Essence Festival. Along the way, they rekindle their sisterhood and rediscover their wild side by doing enough dancing, drinking, brawling, and romancing to make the big easy blush. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for this day of life. My heart is so full of joy for these women right here. 
Lord, please make sure that Lisa don't get an STD and that nobody has kidney failure because we finna get messed up and let me get pregnant by somebody rich. That's all I ask. Amen. Jason, um, you saw this one without me. Um, unfortunately, I, I had to miss it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's pretty much just rough night, right? Well... Uh, that is uh, the the clearest parallel to draw to other movies that came out this summer. Uh, like Rough Night is about a group of friends that don't see each other very much anymore, and there are some resentments within mm. the group, uh, and they decide to all get together to celebrate an occasion, and uh, things get out of hand. So it's like Rough Night in that way, but you know I think Rough Night really reflected the humor of its creators. It reflected mm. the humor of of you know Paul Downs and Lucia Aniello from Broad City, and like Broad City, it was just it was much more of a live action cartoon. <laughs> um, it wasn't afraid to just be very dark and irredeeming with its humor, um, and it just you know was all about these like fucked up moments and wasn't terribly interested in like actual emotional beats. Mm. Girls Trip is a story that is much more interested in developing its characters as people. And it's because the, the screenplay is credited to Kenya Barris, uh, mm. Blackish, mm-hmm. as well as Tracy Oliver, who does Awkward Black Girl. And so, you know, like Blackish, it has a lot of laughs that are mm-hmm. punctuated by, like, you know, by, you know, strong emotional beats. So it's 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 really it has a lot more heart and soul than than Rough Night did, and uh, and it's and it's, it's is it better for it? Uh, you know I think that there I think there's room for both. Okay. You know I'm still going to defend Rough Night always because I feel like it got such a rough shake at uh, at the you know from critics this summer and audiences didn't really cotton to it, and so I'll always defend it um, because I think that you know this is the easy narrative this movie's been getting since it screened uh, for critics has been like oh. This is the movie Rough Night should have been, or oh. this is, you know, like, oh, fuck Rough Night. Girls Trip is where it's at. And I think they're both where it's at. I love both of them. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, this movie is fucking hilarious. Oh my God. Uh, yeah. It, we have Queen Latifah. We have Queen Latifah and Jada Pinkett Smith mm-hmm. doing a set it off reunion. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and in case you're thinking that they were going to be in a movie together and not acknowledge set it off in some way, you are wrong. Oh, good. There is a set it off Easter egg waiting for you <laughs> around midway through the movie. Uh, we have uh, Regina Hall, mm. who uh, doesn't normally get to play leading roles playing the straight guy because uh, she's oh. such a comic genius. Uh, going back to the scary movie films mm-hmm. uh, where she'll always own my heart in her performance as Brenda. Uh, and <laughs> She's then, wearing like the football outfit. Oh. <laughs> 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 oh, man. I mean, I want to start quoting her, but I'll start doing the voice and I'll be racist. Mm-hmm. Um, so oh, you're learning. I live only and then you'll leave and then I'll do it. But uh, <laughs> but she is. Uh, so, yeah. So she plays as uh, the character who's sort of like the queen bee of the group. Mm. She is a lifestyle guru who has it all. And she's been asked to be a keynote speaker at Essence Festival in New Orleans. And so she's like, let's get the girls back together. They call themselves the Flossy Posse. <laughs> so they're like, let's get the Flossy Posse back together. Um, queen Latifah is a journalist who has become a tabloid blogger mm. who is on who is in dire financial straits. Uh, Jada Pinkett Smith is a divorced nurse, mother of two. And Tiffany Haddish uh, is just, her character is developed the least, but she also walks off with the entire fucking movie. Not since Melissa McCarthy in Bridesmaids. Oh, wow. Has there been a comedic supporting performance as star making 
as really? Tiffany Haddish in this movie. So I first noticed her in Keanu. Mm-hmm, yeah. Because um, I remember she, she she stuck out to me. I was like, who is she? You know, who is she? <laughs> and, you know, and I... And what you do and... and I just, who annoying. is she? I mean, I try to save it for drag bars. Who is she? But in this case, it was Tiffany Haddish. And I, she's also on Carmichael's show, which I haven't mm-hmm. watched yet. Uh, but, you know, so she is... She is a character named Dina who is not developed at all. She's just there. She's like a party girl, loose cannon. And she, you know, even says to her co-stars at one point, she's like, I think, you know, you guys just keep me here to make you laugh. Uh, But make you laugh, she does. So they all go to New Orleans together and get the Flossie Posse back together. But conflict arises in the shape of Regina Hall's husband, who's played by Mike Coulter, uh, alias um, Luke Luke Cage. And uh, because it comes out that he is cheating on her. Mm. And uh, which uh, which causes a violent reaction from Tiffany Hash that gets them removed from the posh hotel oh, no. that they were going to stay at. Uh, so and there's this kind of ongoing negotiation. It's very it's very pragmatic about it because she, you know, Regina Hall and her husband are like, okay, we have all these offers because we're kind of we come as a as a package deal. Oh, for our, their our brand, our brand is our relationship. Uh. And so you know, like, what do we do? And she's like, he's done this before, and you know, we can maybe we can get through it. And of course, her girlfriends are like, no, mm-hmm. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. And um, so that's sort of the conflict that that um, you know we're following through the course of the movie. And they filmed it actually at the real Essence Festival. Oh, interesting. So the Essence Festival is actually happening all around it. And as a result, you have a lot of cameos, uh, which never get in the way of the fun. It always just accentuates it nicely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one other way that it's like Rough Night, though, similar to that and how it had like one joke where I was like, ah. oh, <laughs> why do you need to keep that joke? Uh, there's a joke in this, uh, and it's, it's sort of a throwaway line, but it was, uh, demonstrative of something bad. So there's a character in the movie played by Lorenz Tate, uh, mm-hmm. who has not aged today. <laughs> Looks gorgeous. Lorenz Tate plays sort of like a, 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 a friend of Regina Hall's who we can see plainly being positioned as like the love interest once her and Mike Coulter break up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so he's sitting with all the girls and Tiffany Hash is like, so, you know, like, wh- where's your wife? And he's like, oh, I'm not married. And she's like, where's your girlfriend? And he's like, I have a girlfriend. And she's like, where's your husband? And they all laugh. They cut to Queen Latifah mm. laughing. Like, she what? has any fucking room to laugh at, at like, a gay panic joke. Hmm. Um, and he says, stop playing. And, uh, which is the whitest way you'll ever hear anyone you say. Really, stop you really playing. Just See really, how hard I'm trying to sound white. Really, stop playing. Oh, there we go. Stop yeah. playing. Okay, that's, stop. Stop playing, girl, stop. is what he says. And, Christ, it's and, impossible. <laughs> no, I still said that white. Believe me, you know if I was doing it another way. My God. Uh, so... <laughs> You're like that's it. No more black movies on the show. That's it. <laughs> you, can't be, you can't be trusted. This is why you this you ruin it for everybody. So another white guy ruining it for everybody. I'm not ruining anything. So continue. So and so it's just that casual homophobia. Yeah, that yeah. is very unnecessary. It's unnecessary and problematic. It seems like it's not even. Yeah, it's not even that. Like I don't know, funny of a joke. No, it's not a funny joke. That's why I'm just like, well, fuck this. So that did bother me. And I was also, I've also been annoyed. I've been reading interviews with the, the director, Malcolm D. Lee, who also directed the last Barbershop movie, which mm-hmm. we reviewed and yeah. on which he worked with Kenya Barris. So I guess those two mm-hmm. have a partnership. Uh, but uh, I was reading an interview where he was like, well, the funny thing is he's like, he and Tracy Oliver in separate interviews 
have basically kind of like dumped on hidden figures. They've been really? like, they've been like why why do our movies about, about about black women have to be these big serious movies where they're being astronauts? Why can't they just be hanging around together having fun? As if as if that's a that, new idea. Right. And as as if there's not space yeah, for both. Exactly. Like Hidden Figures have was all both. about female friendship. Right. Um and you know, and there have been movies, you know, for years, uh, you know, going, you know, back through the nineties, mm-hmm. the rise of, you know, so called urban comedies. Mm-hmm. There's nothing new about you know, about comedies focusing on characters of color. Like right. like I think they're they're kind of trying a little too hard. They're getting a little sweaty, a little messy trying to figure out a way to position this mm-hmm. as if it's like doing this new thing, which it's not doing. And it doesn't need to do a new thing because what it does, it does amazingly. Right. It does a brilliant job at it. But I mean, I guess like if every time that there's a, a movie about female white friends, we have to have the conversation all over again about, you know, like, oh, well, you know, this is women in comedy. Are people going to go see it? So this could be a mm-hmm. variation on that where like, well, yeah. every, t- every time it comes up again, it starts the whole cycle over again of think pieces and whatnot. But so so that bothered me. And then also the director also goes to great pains to shit all over the Real Housewives of Atlanta in this interview being like, well, I wanted to make a movie that was a counterpoint to, you know, to these the the women that are on the Real Housewives of Atlanta. And, you know, because my wife watches it and it pisses me off. And um, but watching this movie like there is quite literally nothing that separates the characters in this movie from the way people will act on the Real Housewives of Atlanta. And I say mm. this as somebody who's watched every episode. Like, you know, like, do they, they get in crazy, they go in crazy, raunchy trips together. Um, you know, they have very emotional moments together. They In this movie, there is a full-on four-way screaming fight that happens at the end that rivals anything that has ever happened on a Housewives of Atlanta reunion. So this dude's delusional if he thinks that there's any difference between this movie and Housewives of Atlanta. Let me know when you're done talking about Housewives. Uh, I'm done talking about Housewives. All right. Uh, you know, like this is a movie that kind of like gives you the goods. Uh, it gives you everything that you could want from this kind of movie. There's a dance off. There's a group brawl. Overconsumption of an illicit substance leading to mayhem. Mm-hmm. Guy with a monster dick. Demonstration of a new sexual act called grapefruiting. Grapefruiting. Uh, I'll leave that to you to imagine. Public peeing that looks like a fire hose. All leading to a climactic speech. So, but it's this a very is physical comedy. Very, oh my god, such physical comedy. Tiffany Haddish, in particular, is a genius physical comedian, and Latifah also has always been mm-hmm. a brilliant physical comic. Um, and she brings that very much to bear in this movie, in particular during an absinthe freakout uh, that's hinted <laughs> at in the trailer. So you have that, and I think ultimately the difference between this and Rough Night is that this is just a crowd pleasing good time. Like people were cheering throughout the entire movie. And at the end, it was just people were just walking out of the theater, just talking nonstop about like, that was such a good time. And uh, so it's just that kind of, it just, it has a different spirit than mm-hmm. Rough Night did. And there's enough room for both of them. And I love them both. And they're both picks of the week. So you're giving it a binge it. I am giving it a binge it. <laughs> um, Girls Trip is uh, rated R for crude and sexual content throughout pervasive language, brief graphic nudity, and drug material. I want to say one other thing. Oh, please. Uh it takes a little while to get funny, though. I mean, mm-hmm. at the, at the first 10, 15 minutes of the movie, I was like, oh, this is going to be bad. Because it wasn't, was it serious or was it just not funny? It was just not funny. Mm. I was like, oh, no. Like, this is, this is, this is struggling already. It just, it just, it's weird. It gets, it's like, there's like just dead air flatlining for the first 10, 15 minutes. But then once they arrive in New Orleans, that's when things pop off. And then they never stop once they get going. Excellent. Good to know. Show up late. Show up late. Um, our third and last movie of the week is Lady Macbeth. In rural England in 1865, 
Catherine is stifled by her loveless marriage to a bitter man twice her age, whose family are cold and unforgiving. When she embarks on a passionate affair with a young worker on her husband's estate, a force is unleashed inside her, so powerful that she will stop at nothing to get what she wants. You're home. You've acted so very shamelessly and so very stupidly. You will never see that man again. We did it so that we could be together here. You did it for us. We did it. Where's your husband? You've heard nothing from him? Not a word. Given Mr. Lester's recent demise... My husband is not deceased. He is assumed so. He is missing, but presumed dead. You do love a good Shakespeare movie, don't you? I don't. I don't at all, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no. Fortunately, this has literally nothing to do with Shakespeare. Absolutely nothing. Whatsoever. It's based on a 19th century Russian novella that actually originally was printed in Fyodor Dostoevsky's uh, magazine. Mm. Uh, so it when has, he was an old zine maker? <laughs> you know, in his later years, he what dabbled. What an idiot. He dabbled. If <laughs> 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 uh. only he had some brothers, Kara. No, never mind. <laughs> that joke deserves some crime and punishment. Oh, hey. Oh, we got jokes. That's <laughs> we good. got obvious basic literary jokes, all you could ever need. Enough. So enough. So yeah, no, it's not like it's only similar to Macbeth in the sense that you know we're following this protagonist who uh, you know who expects who wants a better life for themselves and is willing to sort of carry out murder to get mm. that life. Um, beyond that, it's a lot more similar to sort of it's like a film noir version of Lady Chatterley's Lover. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's reminiscent of Wuthering Heights. Uh, so it's like a, oh okay. Oh yeah, go ahead. No. Well, it's similar to Wuthering Heights, you know, also with the setting Mm -hmm. in, you know, 19th century England, we have this woman named Catherine um, Mm. and we have, you know, like a a mixed race love interest for her. Soundtrack by Kate Bush. Right. If only. Let me tell you. And uh, and also, you know, Madame Bovary with its Mm -hmm. depiction of the sort of this setting and a a displeased wife. Yeah. Yeah. So it's more like those things than Shakespeare. Um, but it's also far nastier than any of those Ooh. things. This is a nasty, nasty movie. In that it's violent? It is violent. It's also just, there's just an abiding nastiness to it throughout, including acts of genuinely shocking cruelty that, wow. that we watch like in static stationary cameras. To animals? Um, yeah. There's, okay. there, there is one to an animal. Good to know. A horse. Mm. <laughs> You're disturbing me like Lindsay Blue Funke, being like, well, I don't care about ostriches. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, Super Pig really will push me over the edge, but a horse. Eh. Yeah, no, we watch a horse. Maybe gra- it's because our eyes are on the other sides of there. It's, it's painful. It's a horse that doesn't die quickly. Oh, God. It's a horse that doesn't get shot by a shotgun several times before it goes down. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so there's a lot of cruelty. It's just nasty. This is not a movie where you root for anyone. Mm-hmm. You root for literally no kind of like one. like a funny game sort of feel to it? Uh, it's the only other game, the movie off the top of my head I had that has that kind of vibe to it. Well, you know, so at the beginning of the film, Catherine, who's played by an actress whose name is Florence, I'm going to... Pew. Get, pew, or Pug, maybe. Well, I would guess Pew. I'm going to say Poo. So okay. Florence Poo... And I can't say that. You can't do that. Because then, then all I want to do is giggle. And I have a movie review to complete. Can't start giggling yet about Florence. <laughs> um, so Watch. We're going to see an article 
about how she was teased growing up. And well, it's going to be like an anti-bullying she, campaign. She, she takes it out uh, on everyone in this movie. So, uh, so Catherine, at the beginning of the film, is a, a sympathetic figure because she has been sold as part of a land deal okay. in marriage. She's been sold into uh, through as along with a shitty piece of land to this real shitty, gross middle-aged dude, and now and she. This is the mid eighteen late eighteen hundreds. Yeah, mid late. Yeah, and uh, and so it's very much marriage as land deal, mm-hmm. and so she comes with the house, and um, and uh, and then she has to deal with her like gross husband who who just berates her, tells her she's not allowed to go outside of the house won't touch her and she also has to deal with her father-in-law who constantly berates her for not fucking uh her husband enough even though it's her husband who won't touch her Hmm. so it sets her up to be sympathetic but we also kind of see right from the get-go uh she has a black maid named anna who she is terrible to oh and uh and so we're like okay so you know something in the milk isn't clean is that the same Mm, no (laughs) no well i stand by it the milk is filthy (laughs) Her milk is filthy. I don't know what the phrase you're even going for is. Something in the water isn't clean? Is there's there something in the water? And then there's is a baby in the bath water? There's a baby. The baby the baby died. Uh, so she is, um, and then, you know, she is uh, kind of getting, so she gets bored. And mm. this movie is ultimately sort of a movie about the dangers of bored white women. Uh, yeah. So this, it's actually, it's the summer's uh, latest story. About a digmatized woman driven to an act of violence. Like the beguiled? Like the beguiled, like the little hours. Uh, here we are again. And uh, the whole movie almost kind of plays out like when a movie is as as stark as this movie is, all I can do is like, you know, think like what would be a funny meme in this movie. And, uh, <laughs> and I follow a lot of Instagram accounts that are about gay sluts and <laughs> lots of memes about what you'll do for the D. And I was like, you know, this whole movie really kind of plays out like one feature length meme about like how far someone will go for the D. Because what happens is Catherine um, starts to hook up with this very, very good looking um, guy who works in the grounds. He looks like he looks like if Aaron Taylor Johnson had melanin um, mm. or or his alt- name is Cosmo Jarvis. Yeah, it is. Uh, or alternately, he looks. He's a, also a singer songwriter. I know. I'm gonna look him up. Um, and or he also looks a little like. And I thought I'd save this for you so you can laugh at me. Okay. Is it Colin Kaepernick or Kaepernick? Kaepernick. So it's not Kaepernick. No, it's Kaepernick. He looks a little like Alan Kaepernick. Uh, so look at me. I'm making a sports reference. I don't really know that sport. Oh no, that's not it's your. It's more sport. of a political thing. Oh, it's more of a what is. Knowing who Colin Kaepernick is. Oh, I, well, I knew who he was before he's political because he's a local hero. Right? Isn't he? I mean, I think so. Didn't he do good? Don't at, assume I know about didn't all he do sports. Good, didn't he do good at sports? I thought, I don't know. I thought he didn't Ugh. do that well, but I don't really know. This is very upsetting. I feel like I don't even know you. But I know one sport. I'm going to try to keep going after, <laughs> this, this, is, after this bombshell. This is tough. Uh, so he looks like that. And so he's gorgeous. And um, and she puts on a very like chilly act with him but then he like wears her down through something that looks an awful lot like sexual assault until it turns out that she's just playing a game with him mm. and she very much wants to do the banging and so they start doing that and she likes it very much and then she basically just starts killing anyone who gets in the way of like taking away the d oh wow so anyone who represents a challenge to the d she's like you're dead and then they die and then she keeps getting on that d 
So that's kind of the whole movie, more or less. Um, but it's also um, about the best description I saw of it is that it's sort of about the making of a psychopath. So ah. it's basically about you know this this person who clearly we see from the beginning that as the, the aforementioned unclean milk. And uh, that as it goes on, she just kind of get, grows into almost like this super villain um, who just sort of consumes and like destroys an story. everyone around her. It is almost like an origin story. There's indeed the, the last shot of the film uh, could almost be the last shot of, a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of an epilogue of like a superhero evil villain origin story. Interesting. Of her just like looking to camera with this crazy look in her eyes. And you're like, oh, shit. So uh, so it's kind of like that. Um there's some interesting racial politics at work mm-hmm. here because the film has um, has made the decision to make the majority of the characters black. So she has a black maid. The Her lover is mixed race. And then there are two other black characters, um, a, a woman and her grandson that come into play later in the story. All of these people are made to suffer by this white woman. Mm. And she, you know, commits a lot of acts of, of unthinkable cruelty uh, upon them, and even when the film starts, uh, the uh, the Cosmo Jarvis is kind of having a, a flirtation with the maid, and then she just comes along and just like steals him. She's like, "No, nope, white mm. woman wants him," and then she just kind of just calls him up into her bedchambers, and then the maid is like left alone and bereft. And uh, so it's really, uh, you know, I was reading a, a thing today in Newsweek that was like suggesting that perhaps this movie is racist. And, I mean, uh, is it is she's not considered favorably for this acti- for this activity, no, right? No, so, I she's mean, not, and uh, and that's why I was thinking they because they were like this movie deserves the criticism in this writer's opinion that the guy on the Bad Batch got out of people who were doing out of sheer ignorance of what those movies were actually about. They're like this movie deserves that criticism. Hmm. Oh, is in the saying that like the beguiled he was saying that didn't the, include co- characters of color, um, and therefore was not. Well, he was saying, he was arguing that the Beguiled and the Bad Batch, people were basically willfully misunderstanding them and in in ignorance of what they were about. Mm. And with this movie, he's like, it's what it's about. (laughs) It's not a willful misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. It is people who are being, characters who are being made into people of color just to sort of exacerbate their suffering. Hmm. Uh, So what do you think about that? You know, I feel the other way you could say it's like it's like get out like uh, yeah, it's purposefully saying that this this white Mm -hmm. character is terrible. Right. Yeah. I feel like it's definitely like she she you know, she is terrible. And uh, and I feel like it's very much about her being terrible and she gets only more terrible as the film goes on. And so I do feel like it, you know, it's it's in this year where, you know, I think we're all looking for more reasons to condemn white women. I think that this (laughs) movie just gives us one more. Um, I mean, it's you know always a good opportunity for actors of color getting jobs. Yes, uh, there was representation here uh, to mm-hmm. be sure, but there's also and love interest. But there's no, um, but there's no triumph. Mm-hmm. Sure. Was there it was, triumph for anyone though? There was only suffering. Ah, uh, I mean, like she kind of gets away with everything. So, yeah. what color was that horse? Uh, well, it was a white horse. Well, yeah. So there, the white horse gets it. Finally, <laughs> um, does this is this feel like a horror movie? I wouldn't say that it feels like a horror movie. It's really, it's sort of like, it's basically like period noir would okay. be would be the best way to describe it because it, you know the, the the story is so kind of familiar to any any person who's ever seen the film noir where you have a femme fatale and a hapless dude who gets pulled into her web and it's helping her carry out these killings and having a crisis about it and she's heartless and so she doesn't care. And that was something else this writer was making the point that like this just brings back these sorts of 
you know, sort of like the anti-feminist mm-hmm. film femme fatale ideal of, you know, these, you know, women as, you know, calculating sex pots. Yeah. Yeah. Honeypot. Classic honeypot. It's <laughs> really, but, uh, but she, you know, this was not unlike a story like a double indemnity or that kind of mm-hmm. thing. She genuinely is like very much into this relationship with this guy mm-hmm. and really just needs that D and is willing to kill anyone who gets in the way of it. So it's a different kind of film noir. Uh, what are you giving it? I was really torn on this one. I think ultimately I'm going to go with consume in moderation. Okay. Just because once it gets to it, one, by the time it got to its conclusion, uh, this is a pretty short movie. This is like an 88 minute movie. By the time mm. it got to the end, I was kind of like, okay, so, you know, like, well, that mm. was, well, that was a lot of suffering and cruelty and, you know, and it's, you know, it's very handsomely made and the acting is all fantastic. But I was just kind of like, what's the fucking point? Yeah. Uh, you know, I really, at the end, I felt, I just kind of felt like a shrug mm. um, about mm. the whole thing. So it's well done and it's provocative in its way. And the central performance by Florence Pugh is, is pretty uh, fascinating to behold. Mm. But ultimately, it was kind of a, it was kind of, I think that, you know, reading about her, I was watching Rebecca watch the trailer earlier and watching her eyes light up and how amazing it looked. And I was like thinking like, it's not as amazing as it looks in the trailer. Oh, what a bummer. I'm still going to watch it. <laughs> Uh, Lady Macbeth is rated R for some disturbing violence, strong sexuality, nudity, and language. And that's it. That's it. That's it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to subscribe, you can do so on iTunes. Um, Is that what it's called? iTunes? It is. Podcast movie app? Um, Podcast app? Podcast app, yeah. Stitcher or um, apparently um, Google Play podcasts aren't a thing anymore so i don't know what you do about that oh really that went away i think so i don't know i'm not entirely certain um but um there's always a soundcloud app until that goes away until until, yeah for a limited time only there's (laughs) a soundcloud app we need to find a new host guys um uh, thank you so much for listening we'll be back next week bye-bye binging on movies with rebecca and jason you made it to the end that's amazing there There goes goes the the binge. binge